listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. If this is the first time you're listening, well, welcome. And if you're returning, thanks for coming back. Thanks for all your positive feedback. I really appreciate it. This episode covers the highlights of my first 10 podcasts. You know, things like the time I threw my putter at my brother's head, strippers on the golf course, this hot golfer that got in my head when we were competing in only a way that she could, this golf guru that played with one club and bogeyed every hole, a colonoscopy without anesthesia just so I could play golf the same day, my buddy Pat, who happens to be an anesthesiologist, but I could have used him like 20 years ago, and, and this really funny story he shared with me. And of course, bridge ball. I hope you enjoy it. I started playing golf at 10. My parents had moved all of us to Dix Hills, New York, a small community in Suffolk County, Long Island. We were too young to work, and my parents wanted my older brother and me out of the house during the summertime. And who could really blame them? I mean, just look at the pandemic now. Parents want their kids to go out and play. My brother and I would always get into a game that would escalate into a knockdown, dragout fight. After a few episodes of metal-tipped darts being thrown at each other, or an innocuous rubber band flinging game, that turned into paper clips being slingshot at each other's faces, I think it was time for us to find an activity outside. Both my parents thought that golf would be a good idea. I mean, really, golf is a gentleman's game. Conveniently, there was a nine-hole course around a half a mile from our house. Dix Hills Park was a small nine-hole course that we could walk to days when our parents couldn't take us there, and that was more times than not. It was convenient, and it was a good way for our parents to get us the help, for the parents to give us an opportunity to develop our skills. One midsummer day, our mom insisted we go and play golf. She had stuff to do, and there was no way she was leaving us in the house alone for that long. She dropped us off at the course, and asked us to walk home after. She figured that's a good two hours, two and a half hours, for her to have peace and quiet or go do what she needed to do. The two of us started playing, and after a few holes, got into a lot of verbal abuse. And I'm sure he started because I was just a little angel. My brother Michael must have crossed the line just enough to get under my skin. I think he said something, and I challenged him. It said something like this. Hey, say it again, and you're dead. He repeated himself, and I whipped my putter at his head, missing by inches and landing like a long dart right in the middle of the ninth green. And it just so happens that the ninth green was just a spit away from the pro shop where both the head pro and the greenskeeper were standing and watching in amazement of my stupidity. Both Michael and I were escorted off the course by the greenskeeper who had hands like catcher's mitts clinched around the back of our necks. 
It was a time when parents allowed other adults in charge to discipline their kids if they got out of line. I mean, could you imagine that today? Child services would have been called there in a New York minute. The head pro made us call our parents to pick us up. They wanted to make sure that we were all there together when they banned us from the course. There were no cell phones back then. So we had to wait an hour, maybe two hours, until my mom got home and answered the landline. She called my dad at work to pick us up. He got there, listened to the pro, and when he got us to the car, he looked back at us and just said one word. Idiots! Customer golf can be a tremendous tool. I've also had the experience in business golf to watch a new employee implode and virtually fire himself during a golf outing. James McDougall rocketed through our interview process. After being vetted by six managers and the EVP of sales, he was offered a job. His pedigree and credentials were impressive for such a young guy, and his interview style was infectious. Our EVP of sales had a way of disarming candidates by being self-deprecating and open about his personal life, and he and McDougal had a great first meeting. A few weeks after hiring McDougal, the EVP requested him to be part of a foursome at the off-site meeting in Las Vegas. Now, I'm not sure if McDougal was hungover or still drunk from the night before, but he was in pretty bad shape when he showed up to the first tee box. As the round progressed, he became louder, more boastful, and seemed to be channeling Don Rickles because he was ranking on everybody. During the first nine holes, our new hire kept loading up drinks every time the cart girl came by. It was a little like Luke Bryan's song. One margarita, two margarita, three margarita shot. When our EVP got up to the 10th tee box, it was his turn to hit. He gets up and he whiffs and then tops the ball. Not but three seconds after that, McDougal had to weigh in and say something. And it was something like, Ah, I could see why your ex-wife left you for a golf pro. Well, a few more comments like that became nails in McDougal's political coffin. At the end of the round, the EVP pulled me aside and whispered in my ear, Get rid of him. It was like a mob boss telling his hunchman to whack a guy. I mean, you could almost guess that not too short after that, McDougal was transferred and resigned. I mean, in business golf... You can be a hero, and you could be a chump. And for me, I just don't want to be the problem. Don't worry about tomorrow, leave all your sorrow out here on the floating dock. When that sun lays down, we'll be My most memorable skins game took place north of Tempe, Arizona, at a golf track located in the middle of this undeveloped desert area. No homes, no public roads, except one road that led up to the course. When we pull up to the course after driving, it seemed like well over an hour. I was just thinking to myself, what the fuck are we doing way out here? I mean, there's so many courses closer to where we work, where my hotel was. But apparently there was a big skins game here, and my partner asked me to ante up $100 for skins, and I thought, you know, why not? 
So we walk in the clubhouse, and there is this photographer taking a picture of 50 strippers that apparently came in from Las Vegas just for this event. And I look at my buddy, and he goes, hey, did I tell you they're going to be strippers? And I'm like, no, but this is going to be some skins game. After we gawked for a while, there was an announcement that came on one of the loudspeakers that basically told all foursomes to get to their carts and head out to their designated holes. I guess it was like a shotgun start where you start at whatever hole they have you on. There were 18 foursomes, 72 people that were playing in this. And there had to be at least another 25 guys just sitting in the bar just waiting for this event to happen. We get in our carts, we ride out to the holes, and within a few minutes, there are dancers on every tee box and every green. I shit you not. Okay, so now I'm a little conflicted. I mean, who doesn't like that kind of entertainment? But I also thought I was there to try and win a lot of money playing golf. So I talked to my buddy and I said, hey man, I want to take this seriously. And he goes, what, you think your $100 went to some kind of kitty that we're all going to win? He's like, man, we just paid the dancers to show up. Now you got to tip them. Within a very short time, all these American presidents are being stuffed, tossed, and gifted on the golf course. I mean, it gave the course a whole new look. I mean, there were demonstrations on how to do things on the green that I didn't expect to see on a green. And I get to one tee box, and one of my buddies paid one of these strippers to try and distract me when I was trying to hit this par three. It was like 100 yards. Who remembers, right? I was thinking about something else at the time. So the stripper gets up behind me, and I'm getting up, and I'm kind of starting to get it, you know, do my pre-shot routine. I'm waggling the club. I'm not thinking about the hole. This girl comes up behind me, bends down, and does a reach around. And I'm thinking, I'm going to try and hit this ball while she's holding my balls. So I take my club back. I hit the ball. I can't remember where it went. It certainly didn't go in the hole. And that follow-through was so goosed that the head of my club almost came around and hit her right on top of the head. My buddy told me that like a few minutes later. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is, I'm going to kill somebody. We summon down the cart girls. We get as much libation as possible. And we saw things on a golf course that I've never seen in a strip club. I mean, it was awesome. What a skins game. Another time at San Clemente Municipal Golf Course, I go in in the afternoon as a single to get paired up. And at San Clemente, you've got to walk inside the pro shop to see the starter. And this guy was a crotchety man. So I go in and he says, You're a single. There's three people on the tee box. Get out there and hit the ball. So I walk out and I see these two women that look just like Paige Sporanek and Blair O'Neill. And if you're not familiar with them, just Google it. So for the purpose of this story... I'm going to call them Paige and Blair. I'm introduced to the guy, and he introduces himself as Cheyenne. And he happened to be Blair's brother. So I'm watching all three of them just do their practice swings. And man, they look like pros. So I introduce myself, and then Cheyenne gets up, and it's his turn to hit. 
Cheyenne, blasted drive. Now it's my turn, and I got to tell you, it's a little intimidating. I hit a respectable ball, not out of bounds and nothing to be embarrassed about. But when the girls got up to tee off, it was a sight for sore eyes. First, Blair gets up and hits, probably around 250 right down the center. Next, Paige gets up behind her, takes the club back and hits a pretty good drive, certainly well over 230. And she just yells, toe job, man, toe job. And Blair responds like within a second. Man, who doesn't like a really good toe job? And I'm thinking, this is going to be a good round of golf. This ought to be pretty funny. We get to the 10th tee box, and Cheyenne says, hey, why don't we have a match? You and Paige against me and my sister. $20 match play. So I looked at Paige, and she's like, I'm on. Come on, let's go do it. So we're playing them hole by hole. We're winning some holes. They're winning some holes. We get to 18 tee box. We're tied. We hit our drives, and we're walking down the fairway. Blair and I hit our balls kind of in the same direction, and she purposely walks next to me while we're walking down the fairway. And she goes, hey, man, did I tell you that I'm not wearing any underwear today? And I'm thinking, nice gamesmanship. So I get to my ball. She says it again. And I'm doing a pre-shot routine, and all I'm trying to think about is get it on the green, get it on the green. I duck hook this shot to the left of the green into the sand trap. And when I do that, my partner, Paige, says, she got in your head, didn't she? Man, Blair always does that. She got in your head, and you screwed it up. Yeah, and I'm laughing. I'm like, no, no, watch. I'm going to get up there. I am going to chip this in from the sand. It's going to go right in the hole, right? So I hit the ball right square in the face, and this ball went flying out of the sand trap across the street into the parking lot of the sandwich shop that I usually go to. I mean, I couldn't have fucked it up any worse than that. She got in my head. I let her get in my head. Motherfucker. I'm over at Charleston Municipal Golf Course another day. And I want to go out as a single. I've got a few hours to play. So I walk over and uh, the starter says, yeah, I have another guy you could play with. He's the guy over there. And he points over to me. And there's a guy sitting at the first tee box with one club. Um, he kind of guy looks like a throwback from the 60s. And I walk up and I introduce myself to him. And he's like, hey, dude, my, my name is Zed. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, he looks like a Zed. And so um, he goes and he tees up his ball and he hits it. And when he's doing it, I'm looking around. I don't see his golf bag. Maybe it's in a, one of the electric carts and maybe it's around the corner. But he hits this ball. He hits a pretty good shot. And then he stands to the side, I hit my drive, and he starts walking down the fairway. He's got one club in his hand. And to make it even more interesting, he takes his shoes off. He's got sandals. And he's walking down the fairway, barefoot, sandals in one hand, one club in the other hand. 
And so we play this whole, Zed plays it with one club. And I asked him, I'm like, you know, is, are you trying something new? Is this, you know, are you trying to make a correction or something? And he goes, dude, I just need one club. That's all I need. And I'm thinking, okay, this is like from a movie somewhere. I'm looking around to see if there are cameras. So we go on and play together. And this guy, the first four or five holes, he bogeys every hole. That means he's shooting one over par. He doesn't have a putter. He doesn't have any wedges. He's got to go around water. He's got to avoid sand traps. And he's playing, and it's like a hybrid, like a three hybrid. And this guy's like bogey, bogey, bogey. He's really simplified it. So we're going between four and five, and these two foxes walk up to us. And this is the first time I've seen that. I thought they were coy. I thought they'd hide from people. But So Zed just kind of walks up to him, starts whistling, and pulls food out of his pocket. So obviously he's played here a lot, and he knows these foxes are here. I mean, who, who carries fox food? So he feeds the foxes. They stayed, you know, they just kind of stayed around. They didn't run away from us. And we get up to the next tee box. And at that point, I'm like, who am I playing with here? Now we have to wait. We get to this par three and we have to wait. There are a bunch of guys on the green. And Zed sits down. He puts his club down. And he starts to meditate. And he's doing OM. And he's got a mantra going on. And I'm just like, this is interesting. So I did. I snapped the picture. And it's, it's what this episode is all about. Zed waits for a few minutes. The guys have now gotten in their carts. They're away from the green and starting to drive away. And he just like magically opens his eyes, steps up. Now again, Kenny's got this hybrid. He's got to hit over water. Hits this incredible shot and gets it on the green. And then I hit. I'm, I don't do as well. And I'm not playing with one club. But we get up to the green. I think he three putts. But again, bogey. And we go on and play together. And this guy is walking with sandals, with one club. And he bogeys every hole. He doesn't double bogey anything. And he's got one club. I just kept thinking to myself, who is this guy? I mean, is, is this like a second coming? Zed waits for a few minutes. The guys have now gotten in their carts. They're away from the green and starting to drive away. And he just like magically opens his eyes, steps up. Now again, Kenny's got this hybrid. He's got to hit over water. Hits this incredible shot and gets it on the green. And then I hit. I don't do as well. And I'm not playing with one club. But we get up to the green. I think he three putts. But again, bogey. And we go on and play together. And this guy is walking with sandals, with one club. And he bogeys every hole. He doesn't double bogey anything, and he's got one club. I just kept thinking to myself, who is this guy? Zed had shared with me during one of our walks down one of the fairways that he was a roadie for a rock and roll band. Matter of fact, a few rock and roll bands. And the road kind of took its toll on him. So he decided just to camp out in Charleston, stay there, and every once in a while go to the Muni and, you know, tee it up for maybe $5.00. And play with his one club. He also, he had one ball with him. Like, if he hit that ball out of bounds, he was done. But he didn't. And it was the most interesting round of golf I've ever had. And you just can't make this shit up.
Another time at San Clemente Municipal, I get paired up with this surgeon. He's a GI. And we start talking, and, and I told him I was in my early, early 40s, and he asked me if I had had a colonoscopy. And I'm like, no, not yet, but I have to schedule one. So he convinces me it's probably the right thing to do, and we keep playing, and we decide to have a match. And it was a close match, but when we're having a beer afterwards, he tells me, you know, if you get a colonoscopy, you don't really need anesthesia. He goes, particularly somebody like yourself who likes to do things, you're active, you like to play golf, you could have a colonoscopy in the morning without anesthesia and go out in the afternoon and play golf. Well, that, sound, that sounded pretty good to me. So I scheduled it, and I go in, and I go in for the colonoscopy, and even the nurses are commenting on, are you sure you don't want anesthesia? And the doctor's like, he doesn't need it, he's pretty tough, and it doesn't hurt, and he wants to go do something later. And so I go through the procedure, and the cool part was they have the screen. You actually get to see this camera inside you, which I've never seen before, and it was pretty fascinating. But we get done, and because I didn't have any um, anesthesia, I was able to go out a few hours later, and I had scheduled myself to go out and play golf. So I get to the golf course, and when I get there, I'm feeling a little gassy. And I guess that is the side effect of having a colonoscopy. I mean, I guess they need air when they're putting a scope inside you. Or maybe it creates air. I don't know, but there was air. And so I get to San Clemente, and I'm thinking, do I want to play? Yeah, it's not that bad. I, I can handle it. So I get up, and I get paired up with a father and a son. Father's probably my age. Son's like seven or eight. And we get to the first tee, and I'm just feeling my stomach's kind of rumbling. And the father hits, the son's going to go up and hit the red tee, so now it's my turn. And I'm waggling, and I'm feeling a little funny. And I go, and I hit this drive, and at the same time, let out probably the loudest fart I've ever let out in my life. And I I sound like an 8-year-old saying this, but the reason I say that is the 8-year-old that was with us thought it was so funny, he dropped to his knees, and he just kept laughing. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad you think that's funny. But, you know, I think I told the dad, hey, I just had something this morning. You know, I'm sure this is going to pass. At which point he said, yeah, I think it already did. So we're playing the next hole and the next hole. And every time I get to the tee box, it's just like the first tee box. And this kid loved it because he had stories to tell his buddies about the man who kept farting when he hit. I think I get to the sixth tee box and I couldn't handle it anymore. So I think the sixth hole comes up back by the parking lot where the cars were before it goes on to seven. So I just shook hands and left. And I was thinking to myself, this doctor, does is he that sinister that I beat him at golf and he went and sold me this bill of goods about not needing any anesthesia? I keep thinking about it. I'm like, I think he was that kind of guy. A few episodes ago, I was talking about weather and different conditions, and one of my buddies, Pat, actually hit a hole-in-one on this really rainy day. It was like 190, 495 yards, hit the perfect forward, dunked it right in the hole. I mean, it was a great shot. 
but it was interesting how we we got paired up at at Charleston Municipal Golf Course, which is now going uh, undergoing this incredible rebuild. I can't wait to play it when they open, hopefully this year. But uh, I get to, I was, I'm with two other guys uh, that I had been playing with quite often, and we get to the municipal, and we decide we're going to walk. And so we're pushing our carts to the first tee box, and there's a guy sitting in a cart, introduces himself. His name is Pat Schaefer from Toledo, Ohio, and he's down here because uh, he's thinking of retiring. Uh, He's an anesthesiologist, and uh, he's pretty much at 60 years old. I think he's taken about as much as he could take in the industry, particularly as it continues to change. So um, we got hooked up, and we started playing, and he had really good conversations with this guy. Um, just how he, he had these great golf buddies that he plays with up in Toledo, and they just give each other shit all the time. And, and so it sounds like the kind of group I like to play with. He was telling me this really interesting story while we're playing. I think we were stopped at a tee box, and I kind of asked a little bit about his family, and you know, his son works out in Seattle. He actually used to work for a weed magazine. Now he's working for Amazon, and that, that's a pretty cool gig he's got. Um, and his daughter, uh, who lives up in Charlotte, Early, earlier in her life, uh, used to be a singer and an actress, like following like her mom. I think her mom is a, is, it certainly does a lot of musicals. And from what I hear, has just an incredible voice. But Pat had never heard his daughter sing, ever. I don't know if she only did it in school, but obviously she didn't do it at home, or when she did it, he wasn't home. So he's telling me this story. She is, has the star role in a musical, and I'm not sure if it's Hairspray, Pirates of Penzance, Mamma Mia. It was one of those three, I think. And his wife drags him to the play. But I think he's a little excited because his daughter's got a key role, and he, you know, he'd like to see her and hear her. It's in the first act, and his daughter's singing, and he's never heard her. And she's killing it. And he just looks at his wife he's like, when did she start learning how to sing like this? And she said something like this. Since birth, Pat, you got to get off the golf course every once in a while. This is the last story in the summary of the highlights of the first 10 episodes. And for any of you golfers that are listening to this that have played Charleston National, I think you could relate to this, particularly as you go over some of the bridges on the back nine over the beautiful marshes and just see thousands of golf balls laid to rest. I think you might appreciate this one. Almost every Monday, I play golf with this guy that I had met, again, getting paired up with one day, and his name is Taylor. And Taylor was on the first tee box one day when I just kind of came up and the starters nice enough to pair me up with two guys that, you know, just really wanted to go out by themselves. So these two guys, Taylor and his buddy Keith, it's Keith, not Keith. And so as I'm playing with Taylor, they're both really good players. You know, Taylor starts telling me his life story. And, uh, you know, he's a manager at Grace and Grid. It's like a really good restaurant in Mount Pleasant. And uh, as a matter of fact, there was a time after I had met him and played a few times with him, I went out to dinner with another couple, and this is right in the middle of the pandemic when they're starting to open the restaurants for outdoor seating only. 
And so we go downtown Charleston and we're trying to go out to dinner and, and um, we're someplace on Spring Street, which is right next to King. Great place also if you're never down there. It's, they have some really good restaurants and bar there, bars there. But it looks like a war zone. You know, a lot of the places are closed. You could only eat outside, and some of them don't have outdoor seating. And we got to this. First, we went to this one bar, and we're sitting. It's like we're sitting right on the driveway. And after a few bottles of wine, we're like, we got to eat. They weren't serving food that night. So we walked down the street, and we just can't get into places. Or there was just one place we wanted to eat, but it was just fly infested. I mean, the flies have to love this pandemic. So we decide, let's get in the car. Let's drive back to Mount Pleasant. I know that my buddy is the manager at this restaurant and it'll be good to see him. So we get to Grace and Grit. Now it's like 9.15. And little do we know that pretty much every restaurant in Mount Pleasant closes at 9. Everyone. So we get in there and the host and the hostess were just very nice to us. But, you know, through their masks, they're telling us, I'm sorry, we're closed. Uh, You can't eat here. So... I asked him if Taylor was working, and thank God he was. So he comes around the corner. He said, guys, what are you doing? And I'm like, man, we, we can't go to any restaurants. Everything's closing. And he's like, yeah, we're closing too. He goes, wait, wait a minute. And he goes back, and he goes into the kitchen, talks to the chefs. And I don't know what he said, but he comes back out, and he goes, all right, guys, just do me a favor. Don't stay here like four or five hours. So I'm like, he's a really nice guy. He also introduced me to this game that they play, which I had no idea anybody ever did this. So first of all, I'll, I'll, I'll paint the scene for you. Charleston National, when you get to the back nine, have several bridges because the back nine is built on this whole marsh area. It's really cool. It's like an Autobahn society. And typically in the marshes, there's, you know, when it gets to low tide, you get to see the bottom. Uh, you get to see the dirt. And, and a lot of the holes, particularly the par threes and wherever there are bridges, you can see where people mishit their shots, didn't hit the fairways, didn't hit the greens. And there is like a, um, a graveyard of lost balls. And you could see them at low tide all the time, thousands and thousands of balls on the back there. And so I see this, and every time I pass over a bridge and I look over, it's typically by a tee box or a green, and I'm like, oh, man, I've hit there before. I know what that shot's like. But there's this one bridge that connects 16 to 17 that is totally off the course. It's just a bridge that takes you around over the marsh and takes you in another hole. There's no shots there. You're not no tee boxes there. It's like 60 to 70 yards behind a green Uh, So nobody would ever hit it there. But every time I went over this bridge, I would see thousands of balls, like the other bridges where there were hitting areas. And I'm like, I don't understand this. Maybe the course wasn't designed this way, and it was designed a different way, and this was kind of in the middle. You know, maybe there was a tee box and a green, and this was in the middle one day, you know, because Hugo hit and it changed the whole course. Maybe that's it. And so I'm playing with Taylor one day, and we get up around to this bridge, and he slows down, and he goes, bridge ball. Now, Monty goes, let's play bridge ball. Now, he's part of this group that does it every year. It's a charity event, and they use this as another betting game. But there's this long, I want to say, 80-yard bridge over the marsh with a slight pitch to it. And what they do is they stand 10 yards before the bridge on this patch of dirt grass or even on the pavement. And each guy gets to hit a golf ball down the bridge. And the one that goes the farthest down the bridge 
without going off the bridge or over the bridge wins. I hadn't done it before, so I wanted to see how it was done. So Taylor gets up, and he hits this knockdown seven iron really low, and it starts rolling down the bridge. And the bridge is this asphalt, but it's a little buckling, which means it's got little marks in the middle of it and little crevices. And so what happens is his ball's going, it's starting to roll, it hits one of these buckles, bounces, bounces, goes flying off to the left of the bridge. And I'm like, oh, it's not as easy as I thought. And then two of the other guys hit, they're hitting it, bounce, bounce, off bridge, bounce, bounce, off bridge. So I take my putter and I'm like, yeah, I got this. And I putt this shot and it's rolling right down the middle. And I'm like, I won this thing. All of a sudden it hits this like little pothole. Bounce, bounce off the bridge. Nobody wins. We get in our carts, we drive over the bridge, and I look to the right and the left, and I see all these thousands of balls, and I'm like, aha, bridge ball. You've been listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, broadcasting from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. If you like the episode, I invite you to visit my website, talesfromthefirsttea.com. Subscribe. Give it a like. I look forward to hearing your comments. And thanks for your props on my keyboard riffs. I really appreciate them.